Greetings in Jesus' name. I was blessed to have been here already. I trust you were too. And as Josh Yab was speaking, I thought for a while maybe I don't need to. I had almost not not the same point, but a lot of the same same <laughs> the same subject topic that I have prepared for. And I know you weren't talking to me and I wasn't talking to you, but you have a lot of the same points, especially when it comes with the subject of truth. And I suppose, I don't know if you've made any New Year's resolutions. I'm not a fan of them particularly. Uh, if they work for you, fine. But uh, I suppose um, purpose, purposing to go with the truth of God is a good resolution, but it needs to go deeper than that, I guess, too. I had thought of that same subject, Joshua. That if they can't do it, how can I? And, and the answer was very good, is that truth transcends humanity. So title that I have this morning is Girded with Truth. So down the same subject, but if you could, why don't we just stand for a word of prayer before we go on in the message. Lord, we are grateful to you that you are greater than all of human failures. And that if everyone fails, you are still true. And Lord, like that little saying goes, one person and you form a majority. But the fact is you form a majority without anyone. Because you are true and... Uh, and everyone else that is not with you is wrong. So Lord, I pray as we go on this morning, as we look into your word, that you would speak to us, and you would equip us, and you would strengthen us to not only start well, but to continue and to end well. And when we do fail, Lord, to come back, even as David did, and yet, Lord, we do pray you would keep us from that kind of devastation. Help us, Lord, to be true to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to just eliminate some of my introduction for the sake of time. And um, we'll go right to Ephesians chapter 6, which is our main text this morning. We've been teaching about Satan and, and looked at his origin and his fall and his rebel kingdom and some of his modes of operation and just tried to impress on us that we, this, the Christian life is not a walk in the park. It is actually a warfare. And we heard about that this morning, so I don't need to uh, go more into that. But the reason we need to recognize that is what, what, we're, what we're doing this morning is we're actually putting on armor. And I had never seen anyone at the... Well, I don't go to the beach. <laughs> I just used it. You don't put your armor on when you go to the beach or go to the park or you go shopping. You don't put your armor on. And maybe you should have armor when you go to the beach. But um, you put armor on when you go to war. When you go to battle, when you are in a battle, when you're in enemy territory, you put armor on. And that's what, uh, what we're looking at this morning. So, any concept of the Christian life that says, let go and let God, does not deal with this reality. <clears throat> okay, let's read here, and uh, starting at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. I wonder if that's the evil day that we were talking about this morning. And having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I think we'll stop there. Uh, what I'm going to speak about first is, is something I'd actually touched on in the last message. And that is the, uh, the first verse 10 there. There is an imperative an imperative is a command. You and I, Christians, we are commanded to be strong. We're commanded to be strong. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of that Rod and Staff book titled, Young Man, Be Strong. And that is actually a right concept. Young man, be strong. But it's not just for young men to be strong. It is for young men to be strong. But young women be strong. Old men be strong. Old women be strong. It is actually a command given to us right here at the beginning. I could say, Michael, be strong. You could say that of each one of us here. Directly to us, God commands us to be strong. And in what way are we to be strong? Well, to be strong in the Lord. If I'm strong, it's the Lord's strength. Yet I am commanded to be strong. And it's that paradox that goes the whole way through the Christian life. This paradox. Uh, it's like the fruit of the Spirit, and I think I probably had this already before. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's fruit grows on people as they walk in the Spirit. It's a fruit. You don't make fruit grow. Fruit grows when the conditions are right. And yet, each one of those fruits of the Spirit, each individual one, we are commanded to do. That paradox. So, walking consistently in the Spirit will produce gentleness. That's one of the fruits. And yet, I am commanded to be gentle. And I don't just wait for the Spirit to do it in me. If I'm not gentle, and I'm not always, I suppose you could talk to those closest to me, and maybe you can think of yourself. If I'm not, then I need to repent, and I need to confess, and I need to apologize, and I need to agonize over my failure. I need to exert myself outside my comfort zone to be gentle. So I back off, and I respond differently the next time, whether it's to my children or to my cows or to my employees or to my co-workers. I refrain from harshness. I exercise patience. I do that, and yet at the same time, God is working in me. That's the paradox. I do it, God does it, I can't really do it without God, and God won't do it without me. So, 
we're commanded to be strong. That's a command. Be strong. And yet you can't be strong without God, but God won't make you strong without you. The paradox. But be strong is actually a command, and a command, a, any command demands your activity to respond to it. So how do we respond to this command? How should we respond to the command to be strong? Well, I'm, I'm sure there could be many thoughts, but I thought this morning is we, we know his strength, his strength in our humility. When, whenever we have pride or self-sufficiency, then we don't recognize our weakness. When, we're, when, I'm, when I'm proud or when I'm self-sufficient, I'm not recognizing my weakness. And when I'm not recognizing my weakness, I'm not actually looking to God for strength. And so I do need to be convinced of my own weakness and my own ability. And that is, a, that is actually a precondition to this command to be strong, is to recognize your weakness. That's a precondition. And then I need to be convinced, be convinced of God's strength. Now, we all know God is strong, don't we? We heard this morning about how he can turn the sun back. You know, he, ha he can do whatever God wants to, but we need to co be convinced that he can do it in me. I need to be convinced not of God's strength, but that he will do it for me. So when I am depressed or when I wallow in self-pity, I'm actually not convinced of God's strength. God is strong, and he is willing to strengthen me, so that I am strong also. And we are not called to walk in our weakness. We're called to walk in his strength. And so that's the, and, and, and I finish here, and he is strong, and he is able when we aren't. Now that takes faith. God is able to do in me what I can't do. I know we read, uh, we sang that song this morning about faith is the victory. And there, in there, in that verse was the armor of God, it was the truth, it was all the, a lot of things that are actually in, in this message here. God is strong and he is able when we aren't. Obey him and trust him even when you feel weak. Stop using your weakness as an excuse for disobeying God or for lowering his standard. God's strength takes away my excuses. But not only does it just take away my excuses, God's strength also takes away my despair and my doom. He didn't save us to be to destroy us. He saved us from the destroyer. I'm going to do a mathematical equation here. Be strong. Plus, put on. Now, I have a longer board, because then I would put an equal, but we'll put an equal down here. So we have be strong plus put on equals able to stand. That's a mathematical equation. So we are to be strong. The next commandment is to put on, that's putting on the armor, so that ye may be able to stand. And it's not something just mystical. It's actually, if you look at every piece of armor that we read this morning, each one of them is practical Christian living, everyday Christian living. There is victory in these verses, but it's not instant victory. Be strong so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
It's a battle after battle victory. Like Paul had said at the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith. And so now here we are at verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This is the first item of armor, and we'll only get through the first item today. Now the armor, this armor is something you put on and you never take off. You put it on, you don't, I know some people say, well, when they get up in the morning, I've heard this illustration used, and they, they all put all their pieces of armor on, and that's okay. It's an exercise to remember what, what, we're, what we're against and what we put on and God's protection, and that's okay. Basically, what this armor is, is this is something you put on, and you never take it off until you lay it down at the end of your life, and you put on the crown. It's armor. And think right now, do you have your armor on? Have you thought of it recently, what your armor is? Well, that's what some of this is for. What we first have here in this verse is an illustration. And then we have the instruction. The loins girt about is an illustration. Truth is the instruction. And we're first going to talk about the illustration now, Paul was familiar with the Roman soldier's armor, and we're not familiar. There's different ideas exactly what that armor was, depending who you look to. Some commentators think that the, the soldiers had a loose garment on, flowing like a robe, but they had a place for the uh, a neck to go through and a place for the arm to come out, but it was loose-fitting. And whenever they wanted to work, or if they go to war, or whenever there was some strenuous activity, they would take the hems of their garment and they would put it in their belt so they would have freedom with their feet. They could do whatever needed to be done. That is one idea, uh, and, and, I, and I'm going to read a few verses in Elijah, which he was not a soldier, but it, it seems like that one would fit there. It's uh, after, uh, after that showdown on Mount Carmel, and then the rain came, and Ahab rode back to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So I get the idea, maybe he did wrap up his robe so he could run. That's, that's some of the idea. Um, I think it's Clark that had this, that the, the belt or girdle may refer also to an a leather apron beneath the armor or a metal belt protecting the lower abdomen. Uh, this is what Clark says. The girdle went about the loins and served to brace the armor tight against the body and to support daggers and short swords and such like weapons, which were frequently stuck into it. Sort of reminds me a little bit of a tool, tool belt. That's what it reminds me of in this case, what Clark is saying. And he said, this kind of girdle is in general use among the Asiatic nations to the present day, back in his day, probably the 1700s. In this case, it was a center article which held, held things together. Maybe it kept your breastplate in place and things like that. At any rate, Christians are to have their loins girded. And we need to stop here a little bit. There's a lot to this illustration, loins girded. If you, and I, I'm not going to turn to these verses, but I'm just going to take your mind to these verses. In Exodus chapter 12, when uh, the Passover lamb, the, the instructions were given about the Passover lamb, and um, they were, well, I have the verse here. They were getting ready to leave in the middle of the night. After the death angel goes through the land, they were supposed to be prepared to leave. And, and uh, this is what God said to Moses and tell the people, And thus ye shall eat it, the Passover lamb, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So they were to be dressed, prepared, and ready to move out when God said move out. And then, again, for the sake of, well, I don't know, tur turn there. We have time for this. Luke chapter 12. 
It's a number of passages, verses here I'd like to read. Talking about girding, being girded. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give on. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heaven that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourself, like unto men that wait for their Lord, for when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may find unto him immediately. Blessed are these servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he... This is the Lord shall gird himself, the same word, gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he come to second watch or the third watch and find him so, blessed are these servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known when the thief would come, he would have watched and have not suffered his house to be broken into. Be ye therefore ready also for the son of man cometh at an hour when ye think not. So biblically speaking, girding up, girding up at the loins speaks of preparation. It speaks of readiness, of alertness. It speaks of action and commitment and dedication and priority and all those things. It speaks of, uh, yeah, it, the, the opposite would be lukewarmness, lackadaisical, whatever, um, it's the first step in preparing us to stand against the enemy is to gird up our loins and to be alert and ready and prepared. And, and in this area, right, is, is the idea of the truth. Yeah, like I said, the opposite is it's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of discipline. It's maybe on autopilot. It's uh, maybe compromise is just okay. That's the opposite of girding up and being ready. So that's the illustration. That kind, that kind of um, lack of girding up the loins puts anyone in jeopardy right from the start. If we lack urgency in this matter of truth, we are immediately vulnerable to the enemy. I, I heard of an illustration, and I don't have all the pieces together, but I thought it would fit here. But the reason I can't get all the pieces together, not quite sure the context, but there was this man, and it's supposedly a true story, he was taking care of some big cats. I think it was actually lions. Some big cats in his backyard. He had them fully fenced in with woven wire around the top. They were, they were secure. He also had a backyard flock of chickens that were free-ranging. But, you know, you have these chickens out here and you have the, the lions here in the pen and that's fine. Lions like chickens, but chickens and lions can't get together. Well, about once a week, he came out back and he found a headless chicken in the yard. Nowhere's close. Found this one, and about a week later, he found it again, and sometime later, he found another one, and he could not understand what is going on here. But he just took some time and just watched. And he said, these chickens, they would go around the grass, they'd peck. The lion was sitting in his cage, just sitting still, sitting still. Chickens would look at the lion, but they'd peck around, look at the lion, peck around. Yeah, one day he saw it happen, that this chicken stuck its head through the wire of that cage, and with one swipe, that head was off, and you had this chicken flopping around, and somewhere far over, it landed over dead. Another chicken 
It's not sticking our head in the sand, but you don't stick your head into the devil's domain. There has to be a sense of urgency, and we'll come back to this maybe a little later. So having your loins girt about, that's the illustration, not the instruction. What does the illustration illustrate? What is it that we should prioritize and have a sense of urgency? And that is the irony of truth. Proverbs 23, 23a says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate asked this question, what is truth? And as we look at the armor, what we are to wear all the time for our protection from and defense from the enemy, what is truth and how does truth do that? How are we defended and protected from the enemy in this armor, from the schemes of the devil with this truth. And maybe I could ask you the question, how did truth keep you from the devil this week? Whatever truth is, it's absolutely essential that we have it experientially in our lives. Uh, Truth has a number of different meanings. In its essential nature, truth is reality. Truth is what is real. It's what is. It's what's fact. It's what's actual. Truth is what's true. Now our feelings and our emotions are not truth. You could even say our conscience is not truth. You can say that, qualified. Occasionally, our emotions and our feelings, occasionally they line up with truth. I'm not saying they're not, but it's a little bit like a broken clock. It's true, right? Two times a day, right? <laughs> but you can't depend on a, a clock that's not working to, to tell the time right. Don't, don't depend on your emotions for the other truth. Gossip is not the truth. The news is not the truth. The conspiracy theory is not the truth. Philosophy and psychology is not the truth. Google is not the truth. And neither is YouTube. Jesus was right on when he prayed for his disciples in his high priestly prayer. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You cannot improve on that statement when it comes to truth because your word is truth and that is how we are sanctified. And when you are sanctified and set apart, you are taken out of the devil's reach, at least, not out of his domain. I mean, we're in enemy territory, but you are at the right place. The initial untruth came when the devil misrepresented God's word to Eve, all Eve would have needed to do is, God said this. God said, don't eat of that tree. If you do, we'll die. That was all. It was simple. It was what was real. Don't do that. If you do, this will happen. And here is where we line up with Joshua this morning. Truth is reality outside of ourselves. We can violate the truth. We can despise the truth. We can disregard the truth. We can ignore the truth. We can, but in the end, truth will not have changed. It will not have been damaged. It will not have been hurt. But who will have been changed and damaged and hurt if you violate the truth? It's you. It's I. And others that are affected by our untruth. 
That's who gets hurt. Truth does not get hurt because truth is reality. It's no more, you're no more tearing up the highway out here if you tear up the map. You, it makes no difference to that road out there what you do to this map. That road is going to be there. It doesn't matter what you do to this map. Science has discovered many of the laws that, discover, that govern our physical world. And as we discover the reality of the ways things operate, and then we align ourselves with that reality, we will find a benefit. I think, I mean, you could go so many ways. I just thought of a telescope. They discovered that you could take two curved lenses and put them in line, and you could increase, magnify distant objects, and they could see things they never saw before. You're discovering some laws. And then they discovered is you actually have mirrors, and you magnify the mirrors, and you increase the size, you can just go. And same way with microscopes. Science has exploded with phenomenal results in the last 500 years in discovering reality in the physical world. And you have mathematics, and you have geology, and you have astronomy, and you have biology, and you have chemistry, and you have physics, and they completely, completely change the world we live in. Even change the way which we see and understand the world. For instance, we know, I wouldn't have known it, but I'm told that our skin is covered with millions of bacteria, germs, all of every, every, every last little part of our skin. Everything we touch then receives some of that, and it lets it there. And happens all the time, and it's mostly harmless, but sometimes not. If you were a doctor that went from patient to patient, and then it's not quite so harmless. And I think back then, in the, was it Joseph Lister, I think, he's the one that discovered, he didn't even know exactly what was going on, but he discovered that when, when you wash your tools, wash your clothing, wash your hands, when you went from one patient to another, that the mortality rate really dropped in those hospitals. The mortality rate was really bad. In fact, people didn't want to go to hospital because they died. And what people would do is they would, um, uh, somebody would die, so they would go to this patient and they would dissect this patient to try to figure out why they would die. Then they would go to this other patient with the same tools and the same hands and the same clothing and not. And then that person died and he came over there. <clears throat> and he found that when you actually use some kind of antiseptic and kill whatever is on there, it doesn't happen. Basically, they discovered a truth. And when they lined themselves up with that truth, they had a benefit. It made no difference whether you knew the truth or not. It still happened. It's when you discovered the truth and then you lined up with it. Well, you didn't have to discover it. If you lined up with the truth, it'll work, whether you knew it or not. But generally, you, you don't, dis don't do that unless you know what it is or why. So, when it is said, let God be true and every man a liar, it means that God is a God of truth. When we line up to God's truth, we benefit. And when we disregard and ignore the truth, we experience loss because we are at odds with reality. Why would we do that? Why would we want to be at odds with reality? Anyone in here? Why would you want to be at odds with reality? Well, we have what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. You have a system, and then you have a personality, and then you have you. All three of those things 
pull us away from lining up with the reality of the truth of God. And we start there. The Lord Jesus takes us out of that. But now, as we're out of that, we need to put the armor of truth on and we need to stay in that. The devil is the only personality who is our enemy. (laughs) Now, he uses the world, which he actually made the world. The world is the devil's creation. Do you know that? The whole system is the devil's creation. And the flesh that's in us, yeah, that was the devil's creation too, wasn't it? Well, it um, it was aided by our own by our own decisions. So the world has allurement and it has status and it has power. Your flesh likes the things of the world. If there was just the devil and there'd be no world and no flesh, there wouldn't be any problem any more than Adam and Eve had. But the fact is there is a devil, there is a worldly system, and there is still our old nature kicking. And that's why it becomes a battle, a battle for us. Because all these things, the world, the flesh, and the devil, are in concert against us as our enemy. But only the devil, only the devil is the strategizer. Only the devil is the one who lies in wait and watches for that time. The devil does that. That's why he called the schemes of the devil, the wiles of the devil. He's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's waiting. And I think of the urgency that is needed is we, we need to recognize that we have a real enemy and all he needs to wait, maybe he can wait five years. He can wait. Put on the armor of truth. He's the deceiver. He's the tempter. He's the strategizer. He's our personal enemy. He's the roaring lion. He is the one to resist. And to stand and to have on effective armor, we need to go absolutely with the God of truth and his word of truth. That means the Bible is the word of God. What it states as history is history. What it affirms as right and wrong is right and wrong. What it predicts for the future is actually our future. It's not to be tampered with. The reality is that people disagree often with the details of the scripture. But there are truths, and the truths of the scripture do not change. We need to recognize that they do not change. Even in a modern era, the truths of the scriptures do not change, and they will not change. They have not changed. What God says about creations or miracles or morals or ethics or headship or salvation, whatever he says in the word, that is reality. I recently listened to a book of a woman who described how she was invited to join a discussion group. I think they called it a discussion group. It wasn't a Bible study. It was a discussion group. She and her husband had recently gone to a, a church. Well, they, they attended the church once and they really liked it because the pastor had, uh, was very, had a lot of fresh insights and was, uh, his messages were just gripping and they enjoyed it. So they stayed at this church and then the pastor invited her and some other people for this discussion group. And see, it was a four-year discussion group and she agreed to... Uh, to be it. <clears throat> the pastor was a very intelligent, very articulate, very a man that loved Jesus by all appearances. She discovered, however, almost immediately that this pastor was actually a skeptic of almost everything that the Bible taught, and even skeptical of the Bible itself. She herself had been 
all her life from her young conversion at her fairly young age, had all her life was a wholehearted Christian. She put her life into it. She was that girl that went to witness and did all those things, you know. But her, her faith not necessarily been tested or challenged. But in this class, everything she thought was true and settled about God was brought into question. Not only was it brought into question, it was being refuted and it was being dismantled and it was being dismissed. And she was mostly alone in her confusion and dismay because the others in the class seemed like they just went along with it. She took it in and she stayed in that discussion group for about four months at that four years and then she left. But not before her faith in God was in shambles. That pastor, he changed the inspiration of scripture as we see this as God's word. He says it's inspired in the same way that a good poem is inspired. It's inspiring. The Bible is inspiring. Okay? But hell is, is what, when people make wrong decisions, it's, it's where they come to, that's what hell is. When they make bad choices. Jesus did not necessarily die for our sins, but he died as an example for us that we should love our enemies. And on and on and on. And he systematically deconstructed her faith. And she said she would have expected that in a secular college. Or she'd gone out in the street and witnessed to someone and given them a track that he would come back with some of those things. Maybe she would expect it to see it in, a, in one of those magazines. But it came from a trusted pastor. And she was caught completely off guard. And she said it took years, but with much study of the Bible, with much going back to historic Christianity, with a lot of um, finding answers to skeptics, she eventually arrived at a reconstructed faith. And she said the faith wasn't exactly what she lost. There were some changes made, but her faith was now a tested faith. But she said, I can no longer read the scriptures with the innocence I had before. Whenever I read the scripture, I hear the voice of the skeptic in the back of my head. So she has reconstructed her faith, but she walks with a limp. In a sense, she didn't, like Jacob wrestled with God. She wrestled with the devil in a sense, and she prevailed, and she came back to the truth. She came back to reality. She came back to what is real. And she came back by the word of truth. That pastor, which is actually a wolf, had a bone to pick with real Christianity. And the real tragedy here is, well, one of the tragedies, that the other 11 kept on going. And they took, took all of what he had to touch and embrace that falsehood. They embraced the counterfeit gospel. They embraced the fake morality. They surrendered their belt of truth. That's what they did. In that, in that class, they took off the belt of truth. And I want to warn us, because I was going somewhere with that, our world is awash in classes like that, not necessarily classes, but ideas and concepts and, well, let's say it this way, articles and blogs and videos and sermons and books, even Bible translations or paraphrases, seminars, whatever you have, it's just in the modern world, you know, we were always exposed to it because you always, well... In the last 500 years, you had books generally, and then you have had conversation, you had preaching, you had various ways, but we're a thousandfold times more today than you were 100 years ago. And everything that this pastor taught 
this woman is splattered all over the web. And so I'd like to just warn us. You need to hear the truth. And you need to put it on. And you need to have it on. Let's turn to Romans chapter um, 16 for a few verses here. I would like you, it'd be good for you to, to turn there if you can. Starting at verse 17 here. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. In other words, the other paraphrase says, by smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. That's exactly what was happening to this woman. For your obedience came abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf. Yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. What I want to bring out of this verse is that we actually can stay simple. We actually can stay innocent. We actually don't need to experience what that woman experienced. Now, if, if, if it happens in her sense, she was deceived. She was inadvertently led into it. But don't go into it. Don't go in that area. I mean, I, I know there's places in very specific situations where uh, someone does need to wade in that. But maybe you need to be older. Maybe you do need to be mature. Because God says, be simple concerning evil right in the context of those that give smooth talks and glowing words, and they deceive innocent people. And mark them. And you should avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. And it's interesting, right after that, the first part of the next verse, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That's interesting because Satan comes right in here. And we're talking about uh, putting on the armor to protection against Satan. Everything in our life flows from truth. God's word is truth. It's the primary thing for a Christian. And it's the thing that holds everything else together. And it's an absolute necessity. Always come back to it. It's the key that will always determine the correct pitch. It's the reference weight that will always refer to whether other weights are correct. It's the, it's the national clock to which all the other clocks are tuned to. The truth. Word of God. Put it on. In hard times when we are depressed, the truth is still the truth. In easy times, when we're tempted to let our guard down and just float along, the truth is still the truth because the truth is reality outside of ourselves. The enemy has always attacked the truth of the word of God, either by taking it away or by adding to it. You know, the doctrinal confusion can trip us up. There are many truths of scripture and and one of those truths cannot be lifted up above another truth in other words heresy is most times one truth lifted up at the expense of another truth that's often what heresy is it's not an untruth it's just truth out of balance <clears throat> you can love someone too much <laughs> well that woke everyone up you can love someone too much. 
Well, you can be too zealous for the truth without that love. You can be too lenient with your children. You can be too harsh with your children. You can withhold money that is due. You can give money to someone's hurt. You cannot not pray enough. Or you can pray too much and neglect other duties. Truth must be in balance. <clears throat> I know some people say of people who, who emphasize truth, he said their doctrine is as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. Well, I do not want an empty, well, empty, it's an illustration. I do not want to have an empty doctrine. But I tell you what, I do want a straight gun barrel. Tell me what good a crooked gun barrel is. Before we make fun of somebody's straight gun barrel, at least acknowledge it's straight. So how do we get to a place where we're not tossed about by various doctrines and beliefs and persuasions? Well, that's one reason why God has gifted the church with its various teachers and administrators and pastors and, and other giftings to bring things together to... to, to uh, those waves of doctrine that come to swell them, bring the swells down and bring stability and bring direction and purpose and truth into our lives that we may be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we have those familiar words in 2 Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. Just knowing the truth will not protect us. We need to love the Lord of truth. Obviously, we need to be devoted to him who gave us the word of truth. Don't just trust the word. Trust the God of the word. Lest our gun barrel just be empty. Then there are several other ways we can gird ourselves with truth. One is like the, what I said, the word of God. What is actually real, what God, what is actually settled in the heavens is not going to change ever. Gird yourself with that. Get that and put it on and never take it off. That's the first admonition. There are just some other words of truth. It's personal, personal honesty and sincerity are elements of truth as well. Like integrity. We heard some about that last week's message, avoiding hypocrisy. David sinned with Bathsheba. I have this in my notes here, so I'll say it. He sinned with Bathsheba. And then he covered it up for about a year. And life went on as normal. He was outwardly a righteous man. He was a godly king. He went to church. He prayed before meals. He counseled people. He sang the Psalms, probably. I would guess he did. But he was living a lie. He was a hypocrite at this time. Until, and he kept it up until Nathan, that prophet, came. Then he confessed. And Psalms 51 is the well-known psalm of repentance. And in verse 6, he says, when he's talking to God, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth. Thou desirest truth in the inward part. And a paraphrase says that you're after, what you're after is truth from the inside out. Hypocrisy will eventually expose you to the enemy. Once we leave the path of truth in our lives, we have no clear touchstone on what is true. We're now, we're now over in this world, over in this. We're no longer in tune. We're no longer, the key is on, but we're off here and we're trying to run our lives with off key, not 
you lose it, and, and you, lose pers- you lose a lot of things when you walk into, uh, into hypocrisy. No clear touchstone, no reference. We might say, well, in this area, I will compromise. But only there, and only so much. But we're not so constituted. That's not how it works. Actually, it's astounding how much men can hide, even if they are in ministry, just like we heard this morning. And I have here, there are regular and recent examples of that. (laughs) David could, and any of us can, be hypocrites. And I'm talking just leaders, leaders definitely, but any one of us can be hypocrites. So be girded up without hypocrisy. Integrity is one of the ways of truth. Living, your, living with your life, what you say with your lips. In other words, the colloquial term is practice what you preach. Be honest. Be sincere. That's integrity. That's truth. I'm going to make a confession. There are some things I don't say up here that I could say. And why don't I say it? Because I could be accused of not practicing what I preach. Now, it's okay for me to say something and say, this is still in, in, and everything I preach is still in, (laughs) um, in practice in my life. It's a continual, it's not a done deal. I never want to say anything up here that I am not committed and willing and purpose to do in my own life. Honesty. I've heard, heard it said, heard preachers say it, don't, don't do what I do, do as I say. I, 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 have, was, I heard of people who said that. I never heard someone personally, personally say that. But I heard of preachers who said that. <clears throat> if I do not live up to my teaching, I do not live up to my teachings all the time. And if I'm honest, and if I have integrity, I won't hide it. So, girding yourself up with truth is personal honesty and sincerity. Several other ways of walking in the truth here is avoiding gossip, refrain from those juicy bits of news that you heard from who knows when. That's not walking in truth. Don't slander others and tarnish their reputation. Now, maybe that is true. And sometimes you have to talk about other people. But slander is not walking in the truth. Don't flatter people. Saying nice thing to them, think that you know they want to hear. You know they'll be pleased with what you say, but your purpose for saying it is because you want something from them. That's flattery. That's manipulation. That's not walking in the truth. Buttering them up. Exaggeration. Embellishing the truth with a good story. We can even do that in our testimonies. Embellishing the truth. Exaggeration, rather, is not walking in the truth. The woman at the well said, you know, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the nature of God. He cannot tolerate falsehood. All of God's musical instruments are in tune. Do you ever think about that? How can we then be in God when we don't walk in that tune? If we're careless about our tune, let's say it that way. We are to reflect the glory of God. Stick with the word. Now let me ask you, let, let me ask you this question here in the end here. Can you think of any more protection on your armor than you can have than the belt of truth? 
absolute commitment to the Word of God and then to walk in that. Is there better protection? Stick with the Word. Balance out the truth. Live honestly in the light. Strive to be truthful in your conversation. All in the strength of God. And the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. You can stay away from his pen. You don't have to stick your neck into his pen. He's the father of lies. He's the father of falsehood. He's the father of deception. When you stay in the truth, he does not have access to you. You are protected. He can lie and wait, but if you stay in the truth, he does not have access to you. We are armored. So God's truth is our armor. And God says, put it on and never take it off. May God bless you.